try and do another little installment, quick installment in our series on just the blessing of unity, of being able to walk together in unity. And our key uh, text for that was Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, for there the Lord commands the blessing. And the verses in between, just the verse in between alludes to um, the, uh, our unity together as being like anointing oil that was poured on the priests that affected every aspect of their life. It was like the refreshing dew that falls on the mountainside that provides uh, water and sustenance and refreshing. And that's what it is when we walk together in unity, in a oneness of heart and spirit, loving one another. But that starts, as we saw, um, with unity with God. And that comes through Jesus Christ. And we're coming into this Easter period and people will remember the crucifixion of Jesus and then they'll celebrate his resurrection. But there's not enough understanding and revelation of what that really brought to us, which is a oneness with God. Jesus came to reconcile the whole world to the Father, to bring us together in unity that we could be one with him. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit. As we receive Jesus by faith, as we believe in what he has done for us, we receive the Holy Spirit who comes and regenerates our spirit and makes it alive and makes it one with God so that your spirit is intertwined with the very spirit of Jesus. You are one with him and that will not change. We make the choice as to whether we live in the reality of that but the fact, the truth of it is, doesn't change. And that's why, we ha- that's why we can say eternal life is a guarantee to us. Because we are intertwined with the very spirit of Jesus Christ. Man, that is good news. That is the good news of the gospel. Folks, the good news of the gospel isn't just the fact that Jesus died so that you could be forgiven. That is such a narrow view of the gospel. It is far more expansive and far more wonderful and far more glorious and joyous than just that one truth. As wonderful as that is, it is much more. So there's, there's this union with Jesus. There's a, the, the second aspect of unity is that you need to be in, union, in unity within yourself, comfortable within your own skin, who you are. And, uh, and Lucian even alluded to that this morning in, in worship. We need to be comfortable with who We are. Do you thank God for who he has made you? I didn't hear one response. (laughs) You're thinking about it. We should be thankful. Not complaining. Woe is me. Oh God, why did you do this? Why am I not? Why isn't this happening? No, thanks. Thankful. A thankful, grateful heart. Amen? Got a lot of schizophrenic Christians wondering every day, does God really love me or not? No, he does, and his love for you never changes. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing, Romans 8 tells us. His love is enduring, it's faithful, it doesn't change. It is always being poured out upon you. That's the blessing that comes from being in union with God. But here's the thing, God's love is being poured about poured out on every single person on this planet. But because they're not in union with God, they don't realize it, they don't understand it, and then they don't walk in it. 
And that's the issue of being in unity within yourself. If you're not comfortable and you don't understand God's love for you and what he has done for you, if you've got this schizophrenic, confused ideas about God, you know, one day he loves you, the next day he doesn't, you won't walk in the fullness and you won't enjoy the love of God. You won't enjoy his blessings. And then there's unity with one another. Unity with one another. Let's turn to um, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go there quickly. Ephesians 4. Now, Jesus' prayer of John 17, he says that, he says, my prayer is that they would know or that they would be one, just as you and I are one, Father, you in me and I in you. And he says, when they come to that point, when they realize they are one, when they realize that I am in them, they begin to live differently. And he says, the world will know. The world will know, God, that you sent me so the message of the gospel becomes reality when we live in that oneness, not just with God, but live with that unity within us and that unity together. As we live together as one, what happens? Love gets expressed. And then the world looks and says, whoa, you know this message that you have about Jesus? It must be true because we see living reality of it being manifest. Look here, Ephesians 4, and uh, verse 2. How many of you know the devil hates unity? So he's going to do everything he can to actually bring disunity, to bring disharmony. Verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep. You can only keep something that you've already got. Right? Does that make sense? What is Paul saying? He's saying if you're in Christ, if we're in Christ together, we're all part of his family. We already have a measure of unity. In actual fact, if we understood just how powerful that unity is, that's all we need. And so he says, keep what you've got. Many people don't realize what they've got. We have unity. On, on um, Thursday, I was at a pastor's lunch with a whole bunch of guys and the whole aim of the thing is to bring the church together and work towards unity. And they've been on this quest for quite a long time and I've had opportunity to kind of talk into it and address it a few times and um, had the chance to say a couple of things again on Thursday. And I addressed this issue is the fact that, folk, we already have unity because we are the body of Christ. Look at, look at the next verse. Um, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, his, who is over all and through all and in all. 
One body. One church in the city of Perth. Expressed through a whole lot of different congregations, but it's not a whole bunch of all different bodies. It's one body. We already have unity because of Jesus. So we don't have to fight and scramble to try and get unity or make unity or you know, try and grasp some unity under the guise of, well, so long as we do some things together, so long as we can agree to do some things together, then we've got unity. Folk, you know what that is? That ends up being a false pseudo-worldly unity that is based on activity not based on relationship. And you could see with some of the guys, suddenly the lights went on. Oh, wow. You mean we don't have to fight to try and get unity? No, we've already got it. What do we have to do? We need to do and be aware of what Paul says. We need to actually work at maintaining what Jesus has already given to us. And so that comes as a bit of a warning because it says there's possibility that you can lose unity amongst yourself. And that's why he he addresses this thing of how do you maintain that unity that the devil wants to destroy? Remain humble with each other. Remain teachable. Remain kind and patient with one another. Aren't they the challenges that we face almost every day? To remain kind and humble, patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What's the bond of peace? What's the revelation of what Christ is and who he is to us? Of who he is in us? It's the revelation of how much he cares for us, it's, it's, it's the revelation of how precious we are to him, but also to one another. Because in Romans 12, it says we belong to one another. There's one body and we belong to each other. You're not going to abuse part of your body. Some people do. If they do, you're just stupid. Because you're destroying yourself. No, we care for our part, for the parts of the body that we have. And in the same way, the church, we should be caring for one another. We should have a caring heart for one another. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. How many of you know there's, there's good and bad unity? You know, nations have, have conspired and, 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 and come together to destroy other nations. You know, you know the Bible gives us several examples. Um, Genesis chapter 11, it is, and the Tower of Babel. You know that story? Where they, where they come together in rebellion against God. We're going to build ourselves an altar. We're going to build a tower. We're going to reach to the heavens. And their motive was, if we can get up into that atmosphere, we can become gods. And God saw their, their unity in rebelling against him. 
and he comes and he brings confusion and he divides them and he scatters them throughout the earth. Creates a whole lot of different languages so, so they, can, they can't understand one another and they end up dispersing through the whole planet. Exodus, where is it? 32? Exodus 32? Moses is... God has brought deliverance to Israel. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's, he's blessed them with incredible miracles and provision and, you know, food and protection and all of this kind of stuff as they're in the, in the desert. And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. And they, and, and they just getting sick of waiting. Where's Moses? What's going on? We want to hear what's going on. And, and, and they get frustrated and they, and they instead of worshipping God, what do they do? They go back to worshipping the gods of Egypt and they make a golden calf, an idol, that they want some god to come and empower. Open rebellion against God and they unify together in rebellion against God. And what happens? Moses comes down and God comes down and 3,000 people die on that day because of their open rebellion as they unified themselves together against God. Numbers, in the, in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 11, 13, somewhere around there, you see the story of um, Moses sends out 12 spies to the promised land. Right, go, I want you to go and have a look. And, and Joshua and Caleb come back all excited and say, man, you've got to see this place. It's a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. This is going to be awesome. And they want to unify the nation together in faith to see the promises of God fulfilled. God, we can go and do this. Ten spies come back with a bad report. They get full of fear. And they spread a bad report amongst the people. They say, we're going to be destroyed. We can't take that land. There are giants there. It's impossible for us. And they unite the people against Joshua and Caleb. They unite the people against Moses. And they say, and, and then they unite the people against God himself because they start complaining against God and say, God, why did you bring us to this place? Moses, why did you bring us here? And they want to kill Moses and replace him. United against God. There's good unity and there's bad unity. You, know, you come to the book of Acts and you see in uh, Acts 1 and 2, there's, there, there's 120 people, 120 followers of Jesus. And they come together in the upper room under, uh, under the instruction of Jesus. It says, go and gather together and wait for the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to empower you. And so they, they're, man, this is a promise of Jesus. We're going we're to be empowered for him. We're going to see his glory come. And so they go and they, and they gather together. And it says they were in one spirit, in unity, in one accord. And they pray together. And they're worshipping. And they're waiting on God. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and he falls on them. And he pours out blessing upon them. They get empowered. They spill out onto the street full of joy. And look at the comparison. Tower of Babel, God comes down because of bad unity. 
and brings confusion, scatters people. They can't understand one another. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes because he's a group of people in unity together. And, diff and, and God releases different languages on them, but instead of confusion, when they spill out on the street and begin to praise God in different languages, what happens? The people can understand. And instead of 3,000 people being killed like, a, like they were when they worshipped the golden calf, 3,000 people get saved. Incredible contrast. So unity is a very powerful thing. But the motive behind it is very important. People unify against God, in rebellion against God, there are dire consequences. But when we unite together with a heart for God, man, there's untold blessing. That's a fulfillment of Psalm 133. I command blessing when people come together in unity. So there are, there, are, there are consequences to being in disunity. One is, is death. Death. It can be spiritual death, but can, there were times in the Bible where it resulted in physical death. Some of those examples I just gave. Remember Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira? You know, Acts chapter 4 tells us, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 tells us that there were times when the disciples, uh, followers of Jesus, they came together and they sold land and properties and they would come and they would bring it to the apostles' feet and they, and they would allow them to distribute amongst the poor and the needy so that there were no poor and needy amongst them. And Ananias and Sapphira come in and they, they try and follow suit. They say, well, we're going to impress everyone. We're going to sell some stuff. And they bring in and, and they say that they bring all the proceeds to give to be distributed amongst the, the poor. But they lied. They deliberately lied. They tried to deceive God and the church. And judgment comes. And they die. They weren't in harmony with everyone else. They were just trying to impress people. They weren't in, they weren't, I don't even think they were saved, personally. I don't think they were in union with Jesus. They came in and deliberately lied. And Peter gave Ananias Sapphira opportunity to actually be honest. He said, this has happened to your husband. Did you really bring all of the money and give it? Oh, yes, we did. Bang. She drops down dead as well. Now, there's a whole lot of debate as to why all of that happened and the theology behind it, and I'm not going to get into all of that because it's too difficult, and I don't know if anyone's got the proper answer, perfect answer. But I use it as an example just to show when people are in open rebellion against God, and even when they try and hide it, God will expose it. And there ends up being a consequence. Defeat comes when people are in disunity. You know, the, the, the children of Israel, they come into the promised land. God gives them this incredible victory 
over, over the city of Jericho. It's the first city they, they face. You know, massive big walls, and God tells them, march around the walls and then give a shout on the seventh day. You know the story. Walls come down. But God gave them instructions. He said, all of the plunder, all of the wealth of that city is mine. It's not to be yours. On this first victory, it's all mine. It's all to either... Uh, there's stuff you need to destroy. There's other stuff that needs to go into the treasury. No one is allowed to take anyone, anything for themselves. That was God's instruction. Uh, and Joshua gives that instruction. And the whole camp, all the people are in unity with that. They're in agreement with that, except for one guy. He couldn't resist when he saw the wealth. He could not resist the temptation of just sneaking a bit away for himself. And he takes some treasure and he goes and buries it in his tent. And he thinks he's got away with it. Now, I don't know what the figures are. Some people estimate anything from a half a million to two million people. That was the camp of Israel. The next city that they had to actually go and take, small little puny place, they outnumbered them. They could easily have had, they wouldn't have even had to try and they could have had victory. You know what happened? They lost the battle. And they're confused. What's going on? What? Why did we lose this? I mean, we had no hope at, in Jericho and God gave us this victory, this one we could do with our eyes closed with one arm tied behind our back and we lose. What's going on? And then God reveals what had happened. Now this guy Achan was in disunity with the commands that I had given. He was in open rebellion against me. Amazing, one person brings defeat to the entire Israeli army. Sometimes all you need is one, what's the saying? One bad apple. And sometimes that's all you need is one person who is in disharmony, is in disunity, who is against what God is wanting to do with a group of people and defeat can come. So how do you counter that? You need discernment. Not harshness, not where you identify someone and then kick them out. No, we need discernment to recognize what is happening in the spiritual atmosphere and then stand against that so that God changes the atmosphere, so that God changes the heart of that one person. So death comes, defeat comes if we're not in harmony together. Fear and terror comes. Remember those 10 spies come back? What did they do? They sowed fear in the camp so that everyone was so afraid they just they didn't know what to do. Their solution? Let's go back and be slaves. At least we think we're safe back there. What a ridiculous idea. What is that? That's a loss of vision. It's not just fear and terror that comes, but vision gets lost when people are in disunity and, and, and in disharmony with one another. But I don't like looking at negative stuff. I much prefer to look at positive things. So what are some of the blessings? Because God promises blessings for those who dwell together in unity. So in the 
15, 20 minutes I've got left, let me give you some things. We've got 10 things. Are you ready? Get your pens ready. Quickly write these things down. I'll give you some scriptures. I won't be able to read them all. Um, but number one, the power of the Holy Spirit falls. Acts 1, 8, uh, Acts, 4, Acts uh, 1, 14, and Acts 2, verse 1. And I uh, briefly described that before. The Holy Spirit comes and he falls on those who are gathered together in unity seeking God. The power of the Holy Spirit. Not just a little trickle, the power of the Holy Spirit fell. And we see um, later on, Acts chapter 4, um, they come together to pray because Peter and, uh, 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 Peter and John had been arrested. You know the story? They'd been arrested, thrown in prison, and they finally get released. But then uh, they'd been commanded to not talk about Jesus anymore. And so the church comes together and they begin to pray together in oneness of spirit, it says, oneness of heart, in unity together. And the Holy Spirit falls in power so that the very building they are in begins to shake. Well, that's something. Imagine, imagine being in a prayer meeting where the, the actual building starts to shake. That'd be pretty awesome. Eh? Yeah. I think most of us, if that ever happened, our immediate thought would be there's an actual natural earthquake going on. But this wasn't a natural earthquake. This was God shaking the building. I'm going to show myself strong. And that was their prayer. God, would you stretch out your mighty right arm and show yourself strong. Give us boldness to proclaim the gospel. Peter and, Peter and John, they, they, they go out and they, and they heal a, a man who was born lame, could never, never walked in his life. So the power of the Holy Spirit comes. People get saved. Acts 2, verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11, so he's in team. People think, oh, it was just Peter on the day of Pentecost. You know, he was the big shot. Now, you need to read Scripture. Peter stood up with the 11. Do you think the other guys just stood there mute and silent? Acts 2 records Peter's sermon. It doesn't record what the others said. But when it says they stood up together, the inference is that those other guys spoke. They were vocal. But then we have Peter's preach recorded. And what happens? 3,000 people in one hit get saved. You know, I used to, be, I used to marvel at that. I said, man, how can 3,000 people get saved in one hit? Until I read the account of... Reinhard Bonnke, when he was in where Kenya or Ethiopia, one of those two, one of those places there, one million people got saved in one meeting. Huh? One million people got saved in one meeting. How could one million people be in a meeting? Have you ever been to Africa? <laughs> Wow. 
What are our expectations? Well, let's hope for one a year. <laughs> Isn't that pathetic? Really? Do we understand what's possible in God? When your spirit is in perfect harmony with the Spirit of God, when it's His voice speaking through us, when it's His power flowing through us, when it's His glory, when it's His healing power, when it's His saving power. In fact, you can see 3,000 people get saved. And we should have much greater expectations as to what God can do. People get saved when we stand together in unity. One of the good things that's come out of uh, this pastor's gathering over the last couple of years is, um, is, uh, is some of the churches have gathered together to sponsor uh, kids in this particular area in Thailand. And uh, the kids are, it's, it's a people group called the Karen. Some live here in, in Perth now. Some have been brought in. But they are all refugees from Myanmar, Burma. Through persecution, they've crossed the border and they live in these village areas just up on the border in northern Thailand. And um, through a friend of mine who, who heads up Compassion, the Compassion Group here in Western Australia, um, churches have, have, have come together and we're, we're talking with them at the moment as to what we can do, partnership with them. But... Uh, come together to sponsor some of the kids because if you can get to the kids, you can change a community as those kids grow. And, um, and so the vision is we want to impact a thousand kids in that area to have a thousand, one thousand disciples of Jesus within the next 20 years. That, that, that was their goal. And, uh, and they told me on, on Thursday they now have 500 kids sponsored. So they're halfway there already within two years. 500 kids sponsored to help them with schooling, with medical aid, with, with, with just a whole lot of things, with food in these village areas. They have nothing. I mean, there's no, there's no social security. There's no centre link in Thailand. There's nothing for these people. They're not even recognised as being citizens because they're just refugees who have no status whatsoever. 90% of those 500 kids, what's that work out to? Who's the math expert? 90% of those 500 kids are now saved. Have heard the gospel and are saved. Of those 90%, 50% of their parents are now going to church. These, these are people who are steeped in Buddhism. Like that, that, it's a, but the gospel is going out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You wonder why, why is all this unrest happening in Myanmar right now? 
and in other parts of, of Thailand as well. Why is all of that stuff happening? Why? Because, because the gospel is coming in and having effect, and the devil hates it. And he's trying to stir up as much trouble as he can to try and nullify the effects of the gospel. Isn't that good news? Fuck, if you can get this, that, that, that's why our children's church is so important. That, that's not a babysitting program. That's affecting the lives of young people that as they grow, they are going to become the future apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. They are going to be the people who affect the world into the future. Billy Graham grew up as a little kid. You know? He had people helping him and guiding him and praying for him right through his life that he eventually becomes a man who affects the whole planet. It's the power of unity, standing together. Miracles get released, number three. Um, Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Acts 3, Peter and John healed that lame man, and all through the rest of the book of Acts, you see miracle after miracle. Acts 5, Peter's shadow heals the sick. Wow. That, that, just one example of one guy who is in perfect union with Jesus and understands it. No fighting within. Well, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. God can't use me. No, in perfect unity within himself. Man, I am an ambassador of heaven and I am in union with Jesus and my spirit is intertwined with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. That means anything is, anything is possible. And he walks with a confidence and a boldness. God is with me wherever I go. Right, you sick people, bring them out here so that my shadow... What arrogance! so that my shadow can touch them. And they will be healed. And it says, oh, we're healed. I can't talk for Jesus. I don't know what to say. What, what is that? That's disunity in here. And in here, mostly. In here. That we don't understand. We haven't come to a recognition of the power of the Spirit that is available to us. With me? Man, we could turn the world upside down if we just get that thing right in our head. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. There were no needy among them. What happens when you come into union together, when there's unity within the body? There's no needs. All needs get met. Joy and favour, number five. It says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts, broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people, joy and favour get released. It's a blessing that comes from unity. Next verse says, The Lord added to their number daily 
those who are being saved. So what happens? What's the blessing of unity? The church grows. The glory of God comes. They were filled with awe at what God was doing. Are you filled with awe at what God is doing? If you only live with a news broadcast of your own little street, if you live with the edited, doctored news broadcasts that we hear on media generally, you'll lose heart. They don't envision you. They don't, they don't, they don't do anything to inspire you or give you hope or, or give you genuine information about what God is doing. If you want to find out what God is doing, you're going to have to search more than just Channel 9 News. You're going to have to look for some other sources. And yet there's so much that's happening around the world. Folk, we, 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 we need to be hearing what God is doing elsewhere to inspire us to what, he's, what he can do here in, in, in Perth. It's one of the reasons that I, that I meet and stay in contact with guys all over the city because I want to hear what God is doing. And there's some good things that God is doing in, 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 in little pockets. And, and, you know, God is moving in, in, in the north of our state amongst the Aboriginal people. How often do you hear that? You know, for most people, we never hear anything like that. He's moving incredibly in some of those places. I have a friend who, who, who travels with a good mate of his, a guy who I've met. Um, he's a multi-millionaire in America. Um, but got, got badly beat up in a church because of something that happened. Um, he challenged it. Anyway, I won't go into the story. But now he just spends his money He's, a, he's just a high-flying businessman that has connections with people right at the very top of governments. And I'm talking about presidents and prime ministers. That, that's the level that this guy moves in. And he just spends his money now just going, doing business deals, setting up to help mostly third world nations to help them, he pours millions of dollars in. But he does it through the top guys. You're not going to meet with the little understudies. He meets with the top guys. His reason is because I want to get to those guys where the gospel can never get to. And I can't reveal too much. I've said a few little things a couple of times before about this gentleman. But my, a good friend of mine travels with him all the time. And so I, I get those stories. They're not third or fourth hand. They're, they're with people who are on the ground with him when these things happen. And he is seeing generals of armies, the top guys, in communist countries getting saved. They're seeing the, 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 the guys who deal with all the finances for entire nations getting saved. One of the influences that he killed a guy who relinquished one of the top positions in the United States government to go and take on the 
position of being CEO of the health of the food distribution aspect of um, the United Nations. And in, and in the two and a half years that that guy's been in that position, where almost 90% of the money was just being wasted and going into fraudulent activity, he's turned that around completely so that now 90% of the money goes exactly where it needs to be. And they're feeding over 2 million people three meals a day every single day. Why did he do that? Why did he relinquish? He was one of the governors of one of the states in America. And he relinquished that because God said, I want you to go and do this. And he's completely turned that whole thing around. Completely turned it around. As a result of that, doors have opened to preach the gospel in nations where the gospel was completely, totally closed. You see, folk, when we understand that we are in union with Jesus and when we rely then on the Holy Spirit to guide us, direct us, operate with the wisdom of heaven, man, anything is possible. I like to hear those stories because they inspire me. When you're in union together, with one another and with the Holy Spirit, the glory of God comes. You know, one of my favorite little portions of Scripture is uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And David has uh, laid out plans for the, for the temple. Solomon builds it. It comes to the day of dedication for that temple. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. And it says... The, the, the priests and the musicians were together with one voice, in unison, it says. In actual fact, it says um, they came together despite their divisions. Now, those divisions, it wasn't talking about um, them fighting, you know, we've got divisions amongst us and we're fighting against each other. The divisions it's talking about is that they were in different teams. But you know what happens with human nature when people are in different teams? Competition. <laughs> Competition. But it says they came together in absolute perfect unity, in unison, together, with one heart, with one voice, despite the fact that they had natural things that would separate them. And they came together and they began to worship God. And it says the glory of God came so thick and rich. There was a cloud that filled that room that they could not even stand to continue to minister because the presence of God was so thick, it was so heavy, it weighed on them so much that all they could do was lay flat on their faces before God. Wow. The glory of God comes. Two chapters later, it says they couldn't even get into the temple at all. As they walked up the steps, all they could do was lay on their faces because the glory of God I've been in meetings like that. Been in meetings like that where, you, where all you can do is just kneel down. You, can just, you can't say a thing. You're just flat on your face because the presence of God is so thick and rich and glorious. And we've had times. I, I can remember where there's been 
like a mist that people have seen across like a cloud that comes. How long for that God? I want, I want that. How does it happen when people are in one heart, one spirit, one desire? The glory of God comes. Number eight, there's encouragement and comfort that comes. Paul writes in Philippians 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. There's comfort that comes. There's strength that comes. There's encouragement that comes. There's, there's tenderness. There's clarity of mind that comes. Um, number nine, there's strength that comes. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 says, um, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. When we stand together in unity. And number 10, last one. Well, I've got more, but this will do for the last one. Is that there's protection. When we stand together in unity, there's protection. You know, there's a, what's that old saying? There's protection in numbers. Safety in numbers. Safety in numbers. And the promise of God, uh, Psalm 91, is one of protection. That no matter what comes against you, whether it's sickness or, or some demonic activity or whatever it is, God's promise is protection when we stand together in him. Those who dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. What is it? That's saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to nestle under God. I, am, I understand that I have the right to come into his presence, come to his throne room. I'm going to nestle under his wings, under his presence. And as I do, there's this promise, this guarantee of protection over me. In fact, he says, I'm going to send angels to guard you. Well, how often do we live with a conscious awareness that there's angels with us? People get scared by all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's freaky, that's weird. The angels are with you every day. I wonder how much more bold we would be if we lived with the reality, if we were aware of that. That they're with us all the time. So how do we stay in unity? We live in grace. We live in grace. We live with an awareness of one another. We submit to authority. That's God's and to leadership authority that is placed over us. We stay humble and teachable. We live in love, bear with one another, be patient. <laughs> be patient. Be of one mind, at peace with one another, and then stand together. Stand together. What tries to get in, what tries to bring you disunity, well, things like pride, unforgiveness, which leads to bitterness, which often leads to anger, being impatient with one another, you know, having, having unmet expectations sometimes can stir us up and then cause disharmony to come, fear, 
competitive spirits. All of those things are little things that the devil wants to stick in to try and bring disharmony, to rob us of blessing. And remember what Psalm 133 says. It, 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 it analogizes blessing with the anointing. And we need the anointing. And the anointing is what empowers us, gives us supernatural advantages in life. We need the anointing to walk through this life. Amen? So what's God's desire? is simply that we stand together in unity so that blessing can flow through us so that we can have an impact on those around us. Amen? Amen. So unity with God, unity within yourself, and unity with one another. Lord, let us walk in that, in the reality of that, that we're in union with you. Let us be confident in who we are in you. And Jesus, help us to walk together in unity with one another, that we can truly be fruitful, we can represent you, and we can impact those around us. Bless us, Father, we pray, as we go from this place. Lord, we continue to pray for those who are unwell, those who are ailing. Lord, we pray for Paul. pray for Bernadette this morning. We pray for Bill and Lynn, others who are not well and not with us today. We just declare your blessing over them. We stand together in unity and declare. We prophesy healing power. We prophesy peace. We prophesy comfort in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. 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 Bless you guys.